to Fusion Fellowship. Uh, great to see everybody here tonight. Tonight, you know, we just got done with Ephesians last week. And so this week we're cracking open a new book of the Bible, 1 Timothy. What? Uh, absolutely. You, you've heard it here. Yep, 1 Timothy. Uh, it's going to be a great book to study through. It's going to really go along after Ephesians, as we'll learn tonight. Uh, so we have Becky, my wife, and Angie teaching tonight. Afterwards, we're going to hang out, and also, I think Carlel is preparing. Our very first show tonight. Very first. Nobody's ever done it. Not here. Not in this building. He's the four, and Justin's really bad at Oh, Justin's very bad. Don't be on the team. Okay. Throw it away. So that'll be a fun thing. So we'll hang out for a bit and then come to trivia afterwards. This weekend, remember, we got the retreat. What? You heard it here again. The retreat. Uh, that's over in uh, that city, right? And uh, it's about an hour or so Butler. away. Butler, Ohio. That's right. Uh, if you have not paid my lovely wife, please do so. It's 76, 76, I don't know, whatever it is. If you don't remember how much to pay me, text me. Text us. And then I'll answer, probably. Try to pay by tomorrow. If not, let us know. If you're having struggles, we can accommodate that. Uh, we're going to start, I think, the teaching on Friday at 8. So try to be there at 8. We don't want to be going on like 8.30 starting. So we're going to try to start exactly at 8. So try to get there at 7.30. I think that's all the announcements. You have a question, actually. Uh, do we need to bring bedding and things like that? I don't yes. like your question. Just kidding. Yes? I'm pretty sure yes. Okay. Yes. Bring bedding. Yes. Any, any details for Saturday's um, criteria? Saturday? Uh, food is provided for lunch Five? and dinner. Okay. Oh, I mean, what time dinner will be? Just kind of curious what time. You know what? Great question. Probably five, I would say. Uh, I have no idea. Teaching Saturday night? Yeah, so teaching Friday night, teaching Saturday morning, teaching Saturday night. So we got a triple whammy this weekend. Never been done. <laughs> yeah, Lauren. What time are we allowed to get there? Like the earliest we're allowed to be there? Like maybe we're probably going to get there at 6.30. If you're going to get there earlier than 6.30, maybe just let me know because then you might be the first person there. Okay. And you I'll, will be. I don't know, tell them to expect you instead. Okay. Of me? I'll personally text you. Text us any more questions, but we should get started. <laughs> Becky, go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we're starting a new book. In addition to having a retreat, this is a very exciting week. We didn't pray. Did we pray? Somebody pray for me. We should do that. Thanks, God, for this day. Thanks for this letter. Thanks for a chance to get with you and to get into your word. Uh, Father, I want to open up my heart to you. Uh, I know you want to change me and grow me and transform me into your image. And I pray that um, that I would hear this and read this uh, as if it's the first time. And I would, I would not think I've already seen it because there's something that you want to teach me, I'm sure. And so I pray I would be teachable. I pray we would be teachable today. Mm-hmm. Pray against the enemy. He wants to distract us and... Uh, Follow this up. Uh, so I pray against him that you would uh, bind him and let us let us hear freely from you. <clears throat> yeah, Lord, um, I know you have uh, something to tell everybody in this room tonight, and I just pray that uh, you help me and Angie just get out of the way and let you um, speak through your your word. 
Amen. So we're starting First Timothy. And my PowerPoint works. Um, so this is a letter. Uh, I'm just going to have somebody read the first beginning of it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. To Timothy, my true son of the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah! This is like the header of our letter. This is the most most boring chunk of verse I could have us read. Uh, so this is a letter uh, from Paul uh, to this guy named Timothy. So I'll just take a minute kind of introduce the people we're going to be talking about for the next several months. Uh, so Paul, the apostle, uh, kind of a big deal. Um, you might be familiar with Paul. He wrote at least 13 books of the New Testament. So like a fair amount of time when we start a new book, we end up doing like a little bio on Paul. Uh, so I'm gonna do that again. <laughs> um, so he's, he was born into a a pretty well-to-do Jewish family. Um, they must have been fairly wealthy um, and in good standing. He studied under this rabbi named Gamaliel, not to be confused with Galadriel. What are you doing? Um, so that was like a big, like a big deal. Like he was like the best guy. He had like the best education. Um, he was a Pharisee this like ruling religious sect. Um, he was on the Sanhedrin. So he was like one of the 70 guys that kind of ruled Israel under, you know, under Roman authority. It was kind of like, he like, he had like a real like Ivy league, like went to Harvard, got into Congress, like things were going good for Paul. Uh, he spent a lot of time, uh, you know, after Jesus happened, hunting down Christians and, arresting them so he could kill them um, under Roman authority because really from his perspective, they were spreading this like weird false religious thing. Um, so he was very serious about it. Uh, and then on the way to go find some more Christians to round up, he literally meets Jesus risen from the dead on the road, like supernaturally meets him, blinds him for a while. Must've been like fairly awkward. Like, Oops, it's a little bit, a little bit wrong on that one. Um, so then he comes to Christ, and he was equally effective, uh, but now for Jesus. Um, he planted like a million churches, uh, figuratively. Um, he wrote, like I said, a whole bunch of books of the New Testament. Um, he was real, like, getting things done guy. Like, Paul gets things done. Like, a real type A, the loud guy that's in charge of things. Lots of public preaching. Lots of letters full of, like, decisive calls to action. Uh, he publicly rebukes Peter in Galatians. He publicly fights with Barnabas and Mark. Um, it's kind of like a real, like, you know, choleric dude. Um, he's a little bit like an Iron Man. I decided to go with Iron Man. He's just very, like... Has his stuff together, getting stuff done, loud. And then we have Timothy, his good buddy, who is really like, not like that. Uh, Timothy's this guy that Paul met um, on one of his journeys going around planting churches uh, around, I don't know, 50 AD. Uh, 
So when Paul met him, he was probably a teenager, um, and then he's discipled by Paul. And the things that we know about Timothy are stuff like, uh, teach these things and let no one look down on you because you're young. So he's like, not a teenager anymore now that, you know, in the, in the time of the letter that we're into, but he's still like a fairly young guy for being in charge. Um, and the kind of guy that has to be reminded to like, don't let people just disregard what you're saying. Like actually make them listen to you. Uh, do not go on drinking only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So he's also sick all the time. And then we have, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he says, now if Timothy comes, see that he has no reason to be afraid while among you. <laughs> do not look down on him, anyone, but send him on his way in peace so that he may come to me. For I expect him with the brothers. So he's like, literally like, stop scaring Timothy. <laughs> you're, you're scaring him, you're freaking him out, and I expect him to come back unharmed. You will return him in the same condition in which you received him. <laughs> so Timothy's just kind of not, he's not like a Paul. He's, uh, he's probably somebody that had to learn leadership. It wasn't something that came naturally like it did to Paul. Um, he was maybe... Maybe an introvert, maybe a little bit quieter, maybe a little bit timid. Um, he's like a real baby Spider-Man. <laughs> like early, early movies, baby Spider-Man. And yet, they had this really beautiful discipleship relationship. They became a great team. Uh, in 2 Timothy, one of the later letters, Paul says, I thank God as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelled in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So Paul is really, you know, Paul is able to be really soft and encouraging with T Timothy. He encourages him in the, in the way that he is timid. And they, they really had this really warm relationship. You know, it, they, with tears, they parted with tears. Like that's a real emotional connection. And it helped Timothy become a powerful force for the Lord. Um, this is Paul, again, writing, uh, now to the Philippian church. But I hope, in the Lord Jesus, to send Timothy to you, for I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, but, and not those of Christ Jesus. <coughs> you know of his proven character that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. So Paul was able to raise Timothy up into this powerful guy that he really trusts to go out. You know, Paul planted a ton of churches and he couldn't be at all of them. So Timothy was this guy that maybe wasn't naturally gifted in leadership, that Paul was still able to trust to go be his right hand and to go support all these churches. Um, you know, as Paul's, you know, as we've been talking about in the previous book, fairly often stuck in prison, 
um, Timothy is able to go out and love these churches. And I think it's really, I love the, the Paul and Timothy relationship. I think it's really interesting that, um, you know, Paul didn't team up with like another guy like Paul. You know, Paul didn't find another real like go-getter type A, you know. And I think that's, I think that's for a reason. I think they really were able to, um, as iron sharpens iron, kind of build each other up. And it gives a lot of hope for people that are like maybe a little bit introverted. You know, just people. Miscellaneous people that aren't at all like me. Um, <laughs> that, you know, we can still be useful. Uh, we can still, you know, the Lord still uses people powerfully, even if you're not the guy that's going to necessarily, you know, get up and lead a giant group of people in a really strong and decisive way. So then we keep going into, you know, the actual beginning of our letter from Paul to Timothy. Uh, can somebody read this, First Tim 1, 3 and 4? As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. All right. So on a practical point, uh, Paul is going to Macedonia, <coughs> which is interesting because it means Paul's not in prison, which is nifty. Um, if you're familiar with Paul, he's, he's in prison a lot. Uh, we just finished, what, last week? Um, Ephesians, which is Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, which he wrote from under house arrest. Now he's out, um, and this is really, we, are, we really are picking up, you know, now, now Paul is not writing to the church in general. He's writing to Timothy, who he has sent to that church, and it's really only probably a few years later. So we're really picking up pretty much right where we left off. And Ephesus is this there's a big church there full of brand new believers in this big city that was really built on pagan idol worship. Um, Ephesus was, it was at some point a port city. So, you know, the ships come in, there's commerce. That's how economy works. Then there's a city. Uh, but the port is getting full of silt. And eventually the city of Ephesus just got abandoned. Like, now it's in ruins because everybody just left. Because the ships couldn't come in anymore. Uh, and so, you know, it wasn't a port city anymore. But in the meantime, it didn't dry up right away because it had this massive temple. Um, I should have put a picture of it. It really reminded me very strongly of the animated Hercules movie. <laughs> Probably less, like, singing statuary. But I don't know, maybe. It was really cool. It took, like, 100 years to build it. Uh, so people would come to visit this temple, and really the whole economy of the city is built on people visiting the temple, people buying idols from the silversmiths. It was really just, the whole, the whole thing was spinning around idol worship. So now they have this influx of new believers who built this big church um, because they found that the truth and the message of grace 
was really fulfilling in a way that, you know, the idol worship just hadn't been. But now you have a church full of people that, like, are a little bit confused. They, like, really don't have a framework to understand um, Jesus and what he has to offer. So now we have these people that, either out of confusion or, more than likely, at least some of them out of an intentional desire to deceive people and gather some kind of following, you have these people teaching false teachings. We have these strange doctrines. We have these, like, weird, out-of-scope things. He's like, you need to, Timothy needs to go to Ephesus and straighten out their weird theology problems. So I'm going to break down their false teaching problems into two kind of big categories. Uh, The first one being this teaching of strange doctrines. So literally just teaching things that are just not true, like heresy. So this would be something like, you know, to be saved and to go to heaven, you have to do good things and follow the law. Um, Or Jesus came and so he's forgiven you, except you also have to do like this other thing. That's not, that's not really the message of Jesus. Um, Or, you know, Jesus maybe came and then he died and that was a bummer. And then his resurrection is like metaphorical and he has risen again in our hearts, but he didn't really rise again. That's, you know, that's also not what the Bible says. Um, so our first category is just people saying things that are not true. And then we have this part about not paying attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation. Which can can kind of be this thing where we get a distortion of focus and not so much that it's necessarily completely untrue, but we're just kind of looking at the wrong thing. So one of the things that um, it sounds like some of the commentaries are saying that they think what the problem is that he's alluding to is that they're going back to like all the genealogies in Genesis and saying like, oh man, all these lists of names. And then they would like, assign them numbers based on like how many letters are in their name and then like add them together and then be like, and that means like something magical. And it was like, that's not really, that's not really the point. Uh, But I think there's a lot of things that maybe will make more, more sense to us that we would get stuck on. And I recreated this diagram because I really loved it. But Dennis did it on like 1995 PowerPoint and I, I thought maybe I could do a little bit better. So at least it's not that like blue. Um, <laughs> so I wanna bring up kind of a framework for what we should and should not be focusing on. So this is sort of a representation of true things that we could study. And so in the middle, There's like essential truths. Uh, You know, Jesus was God, come down to earth to live a perfect life, to die voluntarily on our behalf so that we could be forgiven and come to God just for free. That is the whole point. You know, that's the central message of the gospel, that just because of what Jesus did and not because of what you're going to do, you can come and be reconciled to God. That's the essential truth. Like, that's, that's the middle. And then around that are things that are like, are important. 
you know, they're not the main thing, but they're definitely important. And then we have things that are helpful, and then we have things that are unimportant, and then we have like miscellaneous other stuff. And this isn't just my opinion. Uh, the Bible makes like very clear, like some things are very important. And I don't know if I'm going to read all these, but you know, if in Galatians, but if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel, you know, a way to get to God, that's contrary to what, you know, the gospel that we've given you, he's to be accursed. You know, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. And if we have hoped in Christ only in this life, we are most to be pitied. You know, these are some really strong, strong words. Um, who is the liar except the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. So the Bible makes very clear that, like, the important things are, like, extremely important. And then, you know, we have the things that aren't essential, but are, like, maybe, a, maybe pretty important. You know, how do we know that the Bible is inspired by God? Um, you know, how does, the, how does the body of Christ work, and how is the church set up? You know, a lot of the New Testament is talking about, like, how having a community of believers is really important. Um, and then there's, like, helpful things, kind of like some ethical teachings. You know, maybe, like, it's wise to live your life this way. But, like, if you got it, if you got it wrong, I, you'd probably be fine. Um, and there's, like, unimportant things, like details of end times prophecy. Nice to know, but, you know, we're going to find out when we get there. And then there's, like, obscure curiosity things, like how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? If they were aliens, could they be saved? Eh? Uh, does it matter? Did Gavin have a belly button? <laughs> yeah, did Adam have a belly button? I like that one. Okay, so that was a very long wind-up to explain my diagram. But the point is that what we need to be careful with is that our focus doesn't, like, shift sideways. If we're looking at something, if our main focus is a little bit shifted from what's essential, then now all of a sudden we're looking at something that's not really what the Bible intended. Uh, we're intended, our goal is to teach what the Bible teaches, because that's what God has told us about, and to emphasize what the Bible emphasizes. If we get to the point where we're doing something like this, now we're emphasizing something that's like completely not the point in scripture. You know, what it, you know, if your number one priority is like speaking in tongues, or if your number one priority is like, when is the world going to end? Or like some political agenda. That's definitely not, you know, that's not the core of what we're supposed to be looking at. And that puts the, the gospel, you know, the core important thing as like this little peripheral issue. Like maybe, maybe you'll think about Jesus sometimes. You know, and that's why, that's really why we're going through book by book. We don't do a whole lot of uh, topical teachings because we really want to make sure that we get through what are all the important things that are in the Bible the way that it has laid it out. So that is where I'm going to wrap that up. And Angie's going to talk more about what we should focus on instead of focusing on, like, side issues.
through just the area. Is it enter or something? Yes, yeah, spacebar or enter. Or enter. Okay. So I want to just go back to um, this second part of uh, verse 4 here for a minute, where he says to Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, such things, these teachings, he's talking about promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. So the situation that um, Timothy finds himself in is that there are these false teachings that were leading people on these um, crazy or unsound kind of tangents instead of building them up in their faith. Um, and Becky called it a distortion of focus. I think that's a really good way to say it. So I don't know. I was thinking of, like, we see those things today. We see those kinds of teachings and instruction today, every day, Right? I was talking to Evan and Lindsay about this guy the other day. Um, maybe you know this guy. He's on the Kent State campus, Risman Plaza. He is out there. Do you know the guy I'm talking about? He's out there all the time. He's up and he's got a Bible in one hand and he's screaming at people that they're going to hell. Right? I've listened to him a couple times. He's right outside my office. I've listened to him a couple times. He's not entirely wrong. He's not entirely wrong in what he's saying, but his his emphasis is wrong, I guess. Or he's it's an imbalanced teaching, you could call it. He's forgetting a big part of the teaching, right? Then we have on the other end of the spectrum, we have this church that I pass also every day on the way to work. It's the Kent United Church of Christ. United Church of Christ. If you go out to their website, they say, we believe in three simple truths. Extravagant welcome, which is A to A, that's accessible to anyone. God's continuing treatment, they say, we take the Bible seriously, not literally. And the church's mission to change lives, and that lives are changed through local service, global engagement, and partnerships. Okay, these are not bad things. These sound like really nice people, right? What's wrong with this? No gospel. no gospel, no Jesus. We are the United Church of Christ, and in their three simple truths, there is no mention of Jesus Christ. There's a wrong emphasis here. There's um, an imbalance here, again. So um, these things are, these teachings are maybe not heretical, but again, they're not, they're not a balanced instruction. So in verse 5, um, would somebody want to read that first? The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Okay, in this verse, Paul is reminding Timothy of the goal of their instruction. He says the goal of this command, and the command he's talking about is the command he's instructed Timothy to give to the others to not teach false doctrines. So he says the goal of this command is to remember that the goal of our instruction is love. The goal of our instruction is sacrificial love. 
And that love, he says, comes from three areas. It comes from a pure heart. Our heart, of course, is our inner being. It's the center of our thinking and our feeling and our choosing. And love comes from an inner being that has been cleansed by Christ. Okay. How does that work? Well, let's take a look at this passage from 1 Peter. Somebody want to read that? Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Okay. So we have to get cleansed or purified by the truth, by Christ, by Jesus Christ, if we're really going to love people. So I don't want to pick on this church, that United Church of Christ, but they sound really nice, but I don't know if they're able to really love in this way because I bet they don't love with people who love people who don't agree with them. So, because sacrificial love, the kind of love he's talking about here, sacrificial love can be a hard thing, right? I mean, it's hard to love people who are different from us. But Jesus says in John eight that if we abide in Him, we'll know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Free from condemnation, to be sure, but also free to love. So free to love without fear, free to love in the face of um, difficulties, freedom to love easy people and difficult people. Good instruction should lead people to this forgiveness from Christ and the freedom to love. That's good instruction. Good teaching leads people to love God and love one another. Okay, next then, Paul says, he says, Paul says, our ability to instruct in love comes from a good conscience. Our conscience, of course, is that part of us, part of our mind that distinguishes right from wrong. And we all have this. We might not agree on what is right or wrong, but we all know that there, we all have this inner sense of right and wrong. This is something God has given us. One reason he's given us this is because he loves us and he doesn't want us to destroy our lives or the lives of other people. But he also gave, it, gave us this conscience to, to... He also gave us this conscience to show us our need for Christ. So now there are a few different types of conscience problems that we can have. One of them is a guilty conscience. Um, and that's the state of our conscience before we came to Christ or even after of not being good, or at least not being good enough. It's that nagging feeling that we have that either propels us to keep on trying under our own power, or it drives us to give up in despair. Um, it could be that feeling of not being a good enough parent, not being a good enough child, not being a good enough spouse or friend. Did anybody in here ever feel that way? What do you do about it when you feel that way? Truth. Truth. Check some truth. What? Wallow in my guilt. Oh, thanks. Yeah, admit your failure. What's that? I didn't hear it. Oh, admitting your failure? Yeah, admitting your failure. Um, I, I mean, I don't... I'm sorry, Brenda, I don't know how to tell you this, but it's probably true. Yeah. It's probably true. But that's exactly why we need Jesus, right? So good instruction in this area should always point back to Jesus. 
It should be about the message. It should be the message that we don't need to be feeling guilty about our sins all the time because we've been cleansed by Christ's blood. We've been cleansed, and that should be our focus. So the solution to the guilty conscience problem is to receive Christ's forgiveness and then continue to trust in that forgiveness. Another kind of conscience problem is a weak conscience. Um, I'm not going to put Romans 14, the whole chapter up here, but in Romans 14, if you guys remember, Paul is speaking to this group specifically about dietary laws and how some people were um, trying to impose their dietary laws on others, and some seemed to be um, just as convinced that they were right in not following these laws. And Paul was trying to teach these believers to stop judging each other regarding secondary matters of religious practice. Stop. Stop it about food and holy days and whatever. Well, someone with a weak conscience might be confused about which things are important and uh, which are not. Remember Becky's circles, the essential, the important things, which are essential, which are important, and which are not. Um, this would be a conscience that's confused about right and wrong. One of the ways it can one of the ways it can look or manifest itself is in being maybe um, overly restrictive. Like this is the person who feels guilty about. Um, taking a break, feels guilty about relaxing, feels guilty about enjoying the wonderful things that God has given us. Does God want us to be miserable? No. How do you know that? Because he tells us. Right. So, because he tells us. So, the solution to someone with a weak conscience is instruction in God's word to kind of recalibrate our conscience. God doesn't want us to be miserable, and our sins are not too great for God to forgive. Another, uh, the, the third kind of conscience that could be problematic is the seared conscience, and this is a real problem. This is the hardened heart. Um, let's look at this passage from Paul's second letter to Timothy. Somebody want to read this? But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Wow, right? This is what someone with a this is what someone with a hardened heart looks like. And then we also have this warning in Hebrews. Someone get that? See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. There's a warning here to protect our hearts because a sinful, distrustful heart causes us to become insensitive to God. These are folks whose consciences have been made insensitive, made numb. They know they're doing wrong, but they continue anyway. They know God wants them to forgive. They say no. They know God wants them to move towards someone in love. They say no. Maybe there are things in their lifestyle that God wants them to change. They say no. 
There is a danger in saying no, no, no to God. Our hearts can become hardened and callous. There is a solution. Confess to God and others. Maybe apologize. Take some action. Bring this stuff that you're doing out into the light. Display a willingness to follow God. Say yes to God. Okay. Finally, Paul says this love comes from a sincere faith. Paul lists this last, but it's really the thing that's necessary even before we can instruct from and have as a goal the other two, a pure heart and a good conscience. We need first a sincere faith. And just the very fact that he says sincere faith kind of implies that there must be something that passes for but is not a sincere faith. Paul is talking here about a saving faith. Um, You guys may know this, and I think we've talked about it before, but Barna says that about 75% of Americans say they are Christians. That's three out of four, right? Is that my math right? Three out of four. Three out of four people say they're Christians in America. (coughs) And maybe what many of them mean is that they're not Jewish or Muslim, Mm -hmm. or maybe they mean their parents are Christians and they were raised that way, or it could be that they sincerely believe that going to church on Sundays makes them a Christian. But we know, I think we know, that faith is not just believing something to be true. It's trusting. Just because you believe doesn't mean you have a saving faith. Saving faith is actually trusting God for your salvation. It's a relationship that you choose. Um, It was pretty sobering for me the first time I read this next passage from Matthew uh, with any real understanding. Someone get that? On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. How can Jesus say, I never knew you? Well, he's not denying their existence. He is denying a relationship with them. We know just from everyday experience that knowing about someone is not the same as knowing someone. I would urge you tonight, if you're not sure about your faith, don't live your life with a question mark. If you can't think of the time when you actually came to Christ, told him you wanted his death on the cross on the cross to come for your sins, told him you wanted a relationship with him. If you can't think of the time when you did that, you may never have. But you can now, at any time. You can now. You can tell Jesus you want that personal relationship with him. So sincere faith, then, is believing who Jesus is. We accept that he's the Son of God, the Messiah, believing what he did, that his death on the cross paid the price for our sin, and it's believing that we can trust him. It's a personal heart relationship, um, the personal heart aspect of that. Um, a faith that is not sincere produces bad instruction. It produces hypocrites. And hypocrisy, we know, is so effective at drawing people away from hearing about Christ. Friends, What could be worse than that, than drawing people away from Christ? 
So here are Timothy's challenges now. He's leading for Paul in this big, sprawling city. It's crawling with false teachers. And there are lots of people there, lots, who need to hear about the forgiveness that Christ offers. And poor Tim, he's not a natural leader. But, but, yeah, but God. Something for us to remember, for Tim to remember, and for us to remember. God's spirit dwells in Timothy, in me, in you. There are lots of people we know, too, who need to hear the good news. They need to hear about Jesus. They, they need to hear that they can be saved. They need to know that peace that comes with that. Um, also, God is calling Timothy. He's calling you. He's calling me to take a step of faith. Timothy had to act out of his comfort zone, and we probably will, too. And also, remember, God is still on his throne. And we can't let our weaknesses or our failures keep us from saying yes to God. So that's the challenge Timothy was facing. He was to confront these false teachers. We have two final verses tonight. They're verses 6 and 7 in this chapter. So someone read these, please. Some have departed from these goals and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. So here Paul is addressing one aspect of this false teaching, a misuse of the law, uh, focusing on the wrong things and teaching salvation by works. These guys who were teaching these were wrong, but they were seemingly, they were very confidently wrong in their teachings. And we've seen that, right? It's really hard to argue with someone who's very confidently wrong. So just to be clear, though, I just I do want to make this clear. Teaching the law isn't wrong. The law's not wrong. We know that because the law is based on God's character, and he is right. God's law teaches us the definition of right and wrong. But these guys were somehow misusing the law, and even God's law must be used the right way. So these teachers had turned away from the main thing, and they were concerned with exalting themselves as teachers of the law. Um, they had turned away from the focus being on Jesus and on love for one another, which is the main law, if you will, and they've turned instead to these fruitless discussions about unimportant matters. And it's easy to get caught up in stuff like that. You know, we try to make our point. It happens when we focus on what we consider the law and what we determine is right or wrong, um, and we turn away from the truth that God has given us. So we're going to do more on the law in the weeks to come, but I'm pretty much finished here. I just want to say in closing a couple things. Let's help us, help each of us help each other remember to keep the main thing the main thing. And I think um, one of the ladies I work with at Rahab, I think, just says it best. She says, hold on to Jesus and love the person in front of you. That's it. Questions, comments, thoughts, concerns, concerns. 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 Uh, thank you, guys. Girls, much for teaching tonight. So, yeah, thanks, Jordan. Huh. Thanks. Thank you. So.
So I wanted to comment on the, the part about the, the consciousness, right? Or the consciousness? Conscience. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. So I feel like at different parts of my life, or maybe at different parts of my day, I've experienced like all three of those, right? And I remember a particular time in my life where Jesus was very, very clearly calling me to love a difficult person in my life. And it wasn't like it didn't. The part about the seared conscious is a lot of times you don't realize how much danger you're in. Because for many years, I was like, nope, not doing it, Lord. Not doing it. But because he was so gracious, you know, he, like, caused me to fall on my face because I was probably heading towards that seared conscious. So, yeah, I, I think that's one of the reasons why, like, this is so important. Mm -hmm. you know, I was just going to say that. We yep. can kind of help each other out there and, you know, see. Because yeah. sometimes if you're just in your own head, you don't see what a dangerous place you're in. It's easy to be blinded mm -hmm. to that stuff. Self-deceived, yeah. Yep. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, we absolutely need um, our uh, fellow believers mm -hmm. to help us with that. Um, sometimes, you know, Terry, I was thinking, you know, sometimes you just read... <laughs> Sometimes you just you read something in the word and it does really just pierce your heart and it's like oh and you know what you get I, I, you get mad at God and you just but still pissed at him yeah <laughs> but there it is though and it's the truth and you yes sir but. well the law was done away with nailed to the cross so if they want to be teachers of the law what they really want to do is to put you back under the law. In other words, legalism. Yeah. You know, and legalism is what destroys Christianity. Because then it sets up a rule set of rules. Just like that United Church of Christ. They have a little set of rules which are unbiblical. But they sound good. Yes. Remember the devil devil is called the deceiver. Yeah. You know, he deceives people and makes them feel good. Mm -hmm. You know, you're basically a good person. After all, you don't do what this people are doing or that one over there, so you're good. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's what makes it difficult when this teaching enters into a church or, or teaching to get people to see the truth. Mm -hmm. Because Christianity, I mean, to me, when I first got saved, it's totally unbelievable. You mean to say all I got to do is believe and I'm going to heaven? No, it don't work that way. You got to be good enough. That's that you Catholic upbringing you had. But it doesn't work that way. God did it all. And Jesus said, "Come unto me, all ye who are labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you more rules." No. <laughs> no. He said, "I'll give you rest." Yeah. And there's one thing old Bobby likes. It's resting. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't have to feel guilty about that. <laughs> well put, Bob. Well put. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And I think I don't know this Church of Christ that you're talking about. And I don't know anybody that goes to it. My brother. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. I, I, I really didn't mean to pick on them, but I was kind of blown away by that. <laughs> But what I want to say is that when we um, when we focus on the essentials, we can have really sweet unity and really sweet fellowship with people of different churches. Yeah. And like we're not we're not at odds with them, right? We're on the same team, right? And I think if we as we search for these essential doctrines, 
and, and agree to have unity on them, it's, it can be really, really sweet. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to argue about the other stuff, you know, do you dunk or sprinkle? We don't have to argue about that. Um, we can enjoy sweet fellowship and we can be, both be forgiven. It's, it's, a, it's a sweet time of real unity that, that we can experience with, with people in different churches. Yeah, and, and like I said, I did. I, mean, I, 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 I feel bad like picking on this church because I don't really know what they teach when right. you get in there, and so they may be teaching something that's you know perfectly biblically correct. But when you go out to their website and they say we believe three things, and those are the three things that they believe, it just struck me that a church that calls itself a Church of Christ wouldn't have Jesus Christ as the center of what they believe. So, just a different emphasis and. Yeah. But when you go to places imbalance. like, um, uh, what's it called, Haven of Rest or Rahab uh, Mission or your workplace, you know, there's people of different churches there that uh, maybe you can have sweet fellowship with and be on the same team in your workplace or at the ministry because of the blood of Christ. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and we 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 can have you know, we can have some unity with people that we we might not think we could. It is unifying. Yeah. I, I have a co-worker who uh, goes to a different church, but I know she's a believer. We're able to talk the same language. Yeah, right. So, yeah. Yeah, I think about, like, this the verse where it talks about having faith like a child. It makes me think of that. Um, that was something that was really impactful in my life, was getting called out, basically. I've shared this several times. Lindsay called me out forever ago. I've never um, heard it. <laughs> she called me out because, like, I said a lot of things and do, didn't do any of them. Ah. You know, things I was going to do or, you know, any various things. But uh, I was thinking of this idea of your focus is not on, like, the essentials of, like, who Jesus is. Like, that co-worker, you said that, like, hold on to Jesus and love you to part of you. I was complicating things because I was like, I want to be a leader. I want to be leading the cell. I want to do all this stuff. I want to do that stuff. Or I'm not doing any of it anyway. Um... But it, it's sad, too, because it really is just overcomplicating it. Yeah. It really is, like, it's a simple faith. It's hard to carry through sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it can be easy to be, you know, kind of led astray for a time or you get stubborn or whatever, but really the essentials, that center of that diagram is simple. Yeah. yeah. It really just overcomplicates things mm -hmm. yeah. to try and focus on all these other things. We do tend to complicate things okay. a lot. Yeah. Well, kind of about the same. It's like you feel like you have to do something. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. yeah, and it it is kind of like if you focus on the if you focus on the main thing. That's what I was kind of struck by. If you're focusing on the important things, like everything else, kind of tends to like fall in line. Like it just, yeah. yeah. And then you know. That then you can relate with other people in other churches that are also focusing on that same thing and like the peripheral issues are just on the periphery and yeah. just, they all kind of tend to yeah it works out it, it's it, it's a main thing and it's a simple thing it's profound but it's yeah. profoundly simple yeah so okay um Oh, I'm sorry, Randy. Uh, I, I believe that uh, Ephesus had a lot of Roman soldiers living there, there, and it was almost like probably Christians in China there. So, oh, you know, because they were still persecuting them, weren't they? Christians. 
the the Christians in Ephesus were still right yeah yeah oh yeah because and like Becky said you know Paul was in and out of prison yeah yeah see so um, I, I believe that you know they Ephesus was a lot of Roman soldiers lived there yeah from what I my past teachings. So it'd be almost like Christians in China there, you know? Yeah. So Yeah, as far as the persecution you're talking about? Yeah. 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 And like everybody so. making money from making idols was also a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't like it when you tell the population that they should stop buying those yeah. and really get rid of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're not a fan. <laughs> yeah, people don't, the people who are in power... Don't want to lose that power. People who are making money don't want to lose that money. Yeah. So whether they're, you know, yeah. whether it's in China or, you know, uh, the Romans in Ephesus or whoever, they don't want to lose that power and they don't want to lose the money. So it was a threat to them. Uh, well, one more thing. I always, uh, work, if three quarters of them are all Christians, why is it the best time to drive on the roads is Sunday morning? There's nobody out there. You know, nobody's tailgating me or anything. It's just like, you know, I, I counted like five cars one time when I was going to church, you know, and just like, Well, they're all down the same mattress. <laughs> so, <laughs> I like St. Mattress. Don't be talking bad about St. Mattress. Bob, did you have something to observe? I, I, I don't remember now. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no. oh, thank you. Uh, Becky brought up a point. She thought maybe uh, a lot of the economy that was going on in Ephesus, and I don't know, was the port kind of dying right now with too much sand or silt filling in, and the port city wasn't uh, uh, was on the decline. Mm-hmm. And because of that, uh, and then there was a lot of on the incline, uh, the guys making the silver gods to sell. That was kind of like. The main economy kind of going on there, you think, at that time, or semi, anyway? That's, yeah, I mean, I am not, that is my very simplified understanding of what was going on. I am not a good historian, mm-hmm. but that is, it definitely, the temple was a big deal. Yeah, yeah. The port did definitely silt up. Mm-hmm. The timeline of it versus the timeline of this letter is a little bit tough to nail down exactly, but... It definitely, I mean, you know, I, I like how you put it. Like, the people that the people that are making the money <laughs> yeah. really like to keep things the way they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was kind of a precarious kind of economic situation there. Because I'm sure they noticed mm. <laughs> that it's harder to get ships in. Yeah, the economy, the economy is tanking. And then you got, like, another kind of a main economy... With the silversmiths making yeah. their gods, it's like, hey, don't cut into my little uh, profit-making thing I got going on over here, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Kind of the way it is. <clears throat> that's kind of the way the world runs, man. Is on greed, mm-hmm. you know. That is true. As long as you got the greed going on, it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to change stuff. <laughs> for us to change stuff. That's what, and again, I don't want to pick on this church, but when they say that they, they're out there to change the world, thinking, well, good luck with that. 
been this way for yeah, yeah. one person at a time. I thank you Lord for uh, bringing these teachers to us thank you Lord that we have such a powerful teaching church and I just give you thanks Lord that uh, we can continue to uh, learn more about your word and understand more about you and uh, your salvation and your grace and your mercy and just give you thanks, Lord, that we have such a powerful teaching church. Thank you, Lord, for your word that you give us to help us understand who you are and so that we can grow closer to you and help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. For those who will be going to the retreat over the weekend, I pray for them, for their safety. I also pray that they would remember to keep their eyes fixed on you and not on other things. And for those who are not, I would pray the same thing, that they, that they would keep their eyes fixed on you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Father, thank you for the for your word. Thank you for the teaching tonight. Uh, thank you for Paul and Jimmy's relationship, uh, that it's not about our ability, God, but we're weak, you're strong. And uh, just nothing mature with Timothy there. Just uh, his weakness, God, you really use them. Your kingdom, building up people and uh, speaking bold, the bold truths of Paul to them, uh, not have been an easy thing. So, thank you, God, for that. That you want to empower us. Thank you, Lord, for sending your Son down to die for us and uh, enter into heaven with you forever. Just by asking you, that's just uh, blows my mind, God. Uh, we just pray, God, we can have some great fellowship here tonight to be able to open up to one another. And you know, if we have a guilty conscience or whatever it may be, Lord, that we come to you and also to our brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen.